0: Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lemorgis. Hello, everybody. Your host will be right with you. <laughs> Today, today we have a very special episode of the show that we are calling Get Chris Another. I have chosen a film that was not a box office success when it came out, but that I love dearly. In a sense, it's a film that I wish had kicked off a cinematic trend, but it was just not to be. Now, later in the year, Rob will have his turn to pick a film that he loves. And Lord, have mercy on your souls. <laughs> I'm very (laughs) curious to see what that's going to be. But last year, we were guests on the Force 5 podcast for their Brad Pitt draft, and each of us came up with a list of Brad Pitt movies, and the audience voted on whose was better. Because Rob picked Johnny Swade as one of his films... I won that contest easily, and as a consequence, get Chris Another is going first. Yeah, I still Hey, you do you, man. You do
1: you. I'm gonna, you know, just let the sword of Damocles hang over everybody's head, including (laughs) yours, Chris, because (laughs) there is a 50% chance that I will just choose Johnny Suede and make you yes, and and tank our (laughs) ratings in the process, apparently. (laughs) I don't care. But maybe I do. Maybe I do. Because there's another, there's another, there are two films that I was obsessed with in high school. And they, one of them is Johnny (laughs) Suede. And the other will shall remain nameless for now. And uh, yes, yeah.
0: Nameless for now. I I had a short list of four for this. And ultimately, well, we'll get now to what I ultimately chose. At, At the conclusion of our last episode, the Silent Night, Deadly Night Christmas special, Rob asked me to give a clue as to what movie I had chosen. And my clue was Communism. Well, also was the fact that we said the word clue several times because as it turns out, communism was just a red herring. And welcome to Get Chris Another Clue the Movie.
2: Every person in this room has the perfect motive. Stand back! For murder. What do you mean? Murder. But only one of these suspects is the murderer. Is it the timid Mr. Green? Why are you screaming? Because I'm frightened. Oh, what? Screaming? Or the militant Colonel Mustard?
3: If I was the killer, I would
2: kill you next. Huh? I said if Mrs. White, who helped her husband on his way. Well, it's a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. Huh? Miss Scarlett, huh? who's helped many men along the way. Practice makes perfect. Professor Plum, who's looking for a way. I'm looking, I'm looking. Mrs. Peacock. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Or did the butler do it? No. 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 Paramount Pictures invites you to an evening of mystery. Let us in, let us in. Let us out, let us out. Murder. This is getting quite serious. And madness. (laughs) In the movie that makes a scene of the
0: crime,
2: clue—it's not just a
0: game anymore. I gotta say, Rob, just right from the off, that trailer really doesn't do a good job of selling this movie. Like, there's so much wit and style and humor in this movie that it just—like, none of that comes through the trailer. I like. This is the first time I've ever seen that trailer, and it's terrible. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I certainly don't remember that trailer, but I don't think it misrepresents the film. It may just not be the best uh, commercial for it.
0: Yeah, right. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't emphasize just how. Funny and witty, this movie. God, I just love this movie, which is why I picked it. We'll give a little background before we get into, uh, I'm very curious to hear what you thought, but Clue was based on the Parker Brothers board game of the same name, which was in turn based on the British game Cluedo, created by Anthony Pratt. The film was produced by legendary producer Deborah Hill, who acquired the film rights from Parker Brothers as early as 1981, along with executive producers John Peters and Peter Goober, who would produce Batman a few years later. The film was directed by British director Jonathan Lynn, and written by Lynn and executive producer John Landis. Now, apparently, Landis was originally going to direct the film, and he was the one who conceived of the film's unique multiple endings scenario. Uh, The project went through a number of writers before Lynn, including famed playwright Tom Stoppard, who worked on the movie for a year before quitting and returning all the money he'd been paid. Wow. Uh, That is, as the kids say, a flex. It is indeed. Uh, Landis then approached Steven Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, who together had written the screenplay for 1973's The Last of Sheila, which was a big influence on Ryan Johnson's second Benoit Blanc mystery, Glass Onion, but they were deemed too expensive. Finally, the job came to English writer-director Jonathan Lynn, who co-created the British comedy series Yes Minister, and who would later go on to direct films such as My Cousin Vinny, The Distinguished Gentleman, and The Whole Nine Yards. Uh, Rob, I actually had a chance to tell Jonathan Lynn what a big fan of Clue I was when he was a client at an agency I worked for, and I had the opportunity to speak to him on the phone. I was like dude clue is one of my favorite. I didn't say dude. I just, you know, Mr. Lynn, dude, clue is one of my favorite movies. (laughs) And he was very nice. He was very cool about it. Very sort of proper English gentleman kind of guy.
1: That's nice uh, because I know, um, it can be, there can be complicated feelings for folks when something at the time didn't hit and it's achieved cult status over time and been more appreciated. Uh, some folks, uh, really warm up to it and it's no longer as sort of a spot for them and some folks it's still a sore spot it's tough you know no i think he's i think he's just a big fan of it it's so hard to do anything well and then the success part it, isn't always 100% tied to how well you did it anyway.
0: Those elements sometimes are just out of your control. Yeah. I mean, it's just this things you can't you can't control. I mean, now it's funny sitting here in the distant future of 2024, in an entertainment landscape that is, you know, positively choked with films and television shows based on all manner of IP, We've had movies with very successful movies based on video games, action figures, theme park rides. I mean, the biggest movie of last year was Barbie, and it's great. And in 1985, though, the notion of a movie based on a board game was unusual, I think, to say the least. Yeah, was this, what year did
1: Cloak and Dagger come out? It was 83, I think. 83, so it was around Although I don't remember, was Cloak and Dagger a game first, or did they do the game based on the movie?
0: I think Cloak and Dagger was a movie first, and I might be wrong about that.
1: But certainly they were not adapting these kinds of properties on a regular right. basis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was an unusual thing. But it makes
1: sense that, if you were looking at games and things like that, that this would be one of the first, because the game itself is a murder mystery, and so it lends itself to being a murder mystery and obviously there's there's exactly. a whole wealth of of cinematic history of that to to draw upon let alone literary so
0: absolutely like its namesake board game clue gathers a group of strangers at an isolated mansion where one mister body is murdered and the group attempts to f- f- solve the mystery of who did it and there's a very agatha christie sensibility to the whole affair like it, it's it, you know and it, and that's partially Because the board game was created to capitalize on the popularity of Agatha Christie's novels in the late 40s, early 50s. So it's all, you know, it all kind of comes full circle, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, um, you know, if you want to look at what... This film has many, many styles of humor. Yes. Some of them are less subtle than others. Um, And I think um, Mr. Body is a case that is both subtle and not subtle. Because... (laughs) (laughs) No one reference, no character actually references the fact that he's Mr. Body. He's
0: Mr. Body.
1: And he is, yes. So, and uh, spoiler alert, someone does get murdered in this movie. Oh, yeah. And maybe the body that is found is eventually Mr. Body.
0: (laughs) The film has one of the all-time great comic cast. I mean, holy God, this is just a murderer's row of brilliant comic actors. Tim Curry, Leslie Ann Warren, Madeline Kahn, Eileen Brennan, Martin Mull, Christopher Lloyd, and Michael McKean with Colleen Camp, Howard Hessman, and Fear Frontman leaving in supporting roles. But despite that, when the film was released in December of 1985, it was neither a critical nor commercial success. And honestly... I kind of that trailer aside, I kind of have no idea why. Because Rob, this film is amazing, and I love it with my whole heart. Yeah, and uh, just to to hammer the music a little bit more,
1: Jane Weidlin of the Go Go's, yes. is the singing telegram. Yes,
0: Jane Weidlin of the Go Go's is the singing telegram girl.
2: <laughs> I am your singing telegram. <laughs>
0: It lives in my head. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just in my
1: head forever. And that's great timing in that that bit. But uh, leaving, for those of you who may not necessarily know fear off the bat, LA punk band. um, And I believe that their big hit, (laughs) big hit, (laughs) which was also on the SLC punk soundtrack, uh, which I love. But uh, to just imagine, I love living in the city.
0: And this is the man who is in Clue the movie. It is pretty fun. It is. You know, it's funny. I, I Thinking about this movie, I think people don't realize how many beloved movies, and this is a cult classic. I am not alone in my love for this movie. Uh, but how many beloved movies, particularly from the 80s, were not hits theatrically. Like, some certainly were. Like, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop were massive hits out of the gate. But movies like Clue, Labyrinth, which we talked about in one of our bonus episodes, Highlander, Blade Runner, John Carpenter's The Thing, as well as Big Trouble in Little China, which was very nearly my pick for this episode. All of those films were commercial disappointments and have now evolved into beloved classics. My wife is always surprised when I tell her a movie that she loved was a box. Box office bomb. She's like, "What? How is that even possible?" But it was like a lot of these were, but have gained with time.
1: Yeah, I mean, in that era too, I and I was a kid, so the the whole box office culture, like keeping score, was far far less than it is now. I mean, they would publish which were the top movies, but did I know what was profitable? No, right. Um, right. I just knew that the black hole was amazing or Tron was amazing, and then yeah, twenty years later, you go oh, people lost their job over that? That sucks, because it's amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I think in particular, there's a lot of movies from the 80s that fit this model of box office disappointment that evolves into beloved classic. And I think the reason for it is that it was in the 80s. That was the decade where home video, specifically VCRs, came into widespread use in American homes. Like prior to that, it was much harder For a commercial disappointment to find their audience after that initial theatrical run, you know, some bombs may have found their audience over time on television, like on the late, late, late movie, something like that, or you have like the rare case of it's a wonderful life, which was initially a disappointment, but then become became beloved after countless holiday airings on network TV, but that was rare. The rise of home video. Gave films a second opportunity to gain popularity and to do that relatively quickly.
1: Yeah, and, and there is that particularly eighties feel. I mean, the eighties is kind of the end of this era, uh, I think. Uh, but uh, there is this feel in watching this movie to me that I should. It should have been two a.m. on my UHF station. Yeah, like, and not in eighty-five, but eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Uh, you know that right. this Would have been on, and you. This would have been a top shelf UHF movie to find on the channel. Yeah. And you would have been, oh my God, they have a clue. I can't believe it.
0: Right. Well, I didn't, I didn't see this movie in the movie theater, but I swear to God, Rob, I must have rented it from our local mom and pop video store time and time and time again. like, I mean, this was before VHS tapes were available for sale. Cause they were priced just to, to be bought by, by video stores and then rented out. So I, but I, I must've just, I don't know how many times I rented this tape over and over again. And I just right, right from the off. So it must've been like 86, 87. I just, I just over and over again. And I, and I, I fell in love with it. And I did see it in the theater because I
1: distinctly remember, um, oh, wow. My parents not, well, I was, you know, I was old enough, and I I saw a lot of movies. oh, sure. I saw a lot of movies. As did I. I just didn't get this one. Which ending did you get? I distinctly remember, uh, and I didn't agitate for a ton with my folks, um, you know, like, oh, get me this, get me that. Right. And I had already gone and seen a movie multiple times in E.T., but in trying to agitate to see this multiple times in the theater, uh, at different theaters, to try and get the other endings. Right. uh, One of the few few things that landed like a
0: Led Zeppelin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember, you know, I I saw E.T. in the movie theater as well. I remember seeing movies multiple times for sure. I know I saw Big Trouble in Little China a couple of times. Um, You know, that that was... uh, Yeah, that was just again. It felt like movies were were not as expensive. It wasn't as much of a thing. Like no, it it wasn't. Feels like now it's it's such a big like it's a big. The movies
1: were a thing that was thought of as a very family friendly activity. As far as it was a, a cheap thing to do with your family. Yeah, you know, including
0: the popcorn, all of it. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's funny how things have changed. Different world. Uh, so, Clue. We open on a dark and stormy night as the vintage car approaches a massive, foreboding mansion. And I want to mention right at the top, the production design for this movie is absolutely fantastic. You have this matte painting of the house yeah. as they're coming up to it, uh, which was created by Sid Dutton in conjunction with matte painting legend Albert. Whitlock, whose work we've talked about on the show before, uh, and the interior of the house is incredible. Like all of the sets, all of the rooms, all of the sets were all constructed were all constructed on sound stages at Paramount. With one exception, the ballroom. Oh, that was shot at a house in South Pasadena. Of course, I, I was going
1: to say South Pass uh, because every just seeing the style of this home, it had to be South Pass. It's not going to be Hancock Park. Certainly nothing on the west side. Um, No, no, no. Had to be South Pass.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, In the cars, Wadsworth the butler played by Tim Curry in a role that I literally cannot imagine anyone else playing. But oddly enough, another actor was cast in the role. English actor Leonard Rossiter was Jonathan Lynn's first choice to play Wadsworth. The two had worked on a play together in London, but Rossiter uh, passed away before production. Lynn's second choice was none other than Rowan Atkinson. Oh. And apparently he was rejected by Paramount because he wasn't familiar enough to American audiences at that point. Uh, and apparently John Cleese was in the mix as well to play Wadsworth. But I can't imagine anyone bringing the madcap energy that Tim Curry brings. It's incredible. Oh, he's and amazing. I, just, I, can't, I can't see it. Uh, he's I amazing. I can't see it in anybody
1: else. But I will say this is not Tim Curry slander, but there's one other actor that I could imagine... At this time period, being perfect for this role, uh, but you wouldn't get the English accent. Robin Williams,
0: totally. He, he's totally. the only one totally.
1: that I, I could even imagine. But it, it'd be far different from Curry, um, right? But uh, the Madcap at the end, particularly. Yeah, I, think I can. He could, I you yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. Uh, Wadsworth approaches the house. He has to contend with two large dogs guarding the door. Fortunately, he's brought them some meat to snack on. Oh, and as he moves to enter the house, before we
1: enter that house, Chris. I want to stop and appreciate, this is set in New England 1954. Yes. And yet, there is nothing more 1980s, uh, mid-80s, early 80s, than a rich guy house having... Mean guard dogs that will rip you apart of unless you throw them meat. This is
0: so right. 80s. It's like, like on on Magnum PI yes. with 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 uh, with the two dogs with with uh with Higgins as two dogs. Yes, that is absolutely a classic '80s rich guy yeah. trope. And you're right there. Uh, and it's funny. Then then I mentioned the poop because because Wadsworth steps in in dog poop, and there's a running gag with that. But it's funny because up until that moment. That's the first sign that this is not just a mystery movie, but that it's a farce as well. Like that is the first moment where you get something kind of gaggy. Oh yeah. Like that is, that is, oh, it's like, oh. And it's interesting to me because it's the first instance of, of
1: real comedy, but, and and the, the comedy in this movie will be played at many different tones and levels. This one though is all kind of, not in the background per se, but the you don't get a close-up of stepping on the poop. You're still in a long shot. Right. Then you just, and you don't get a close-up of him scraping it off or even a medium shot. It's all played in that long shot and the character doesn't even bat an eyelash. It's clearly something that's happened all the time and it's just, yeah. oh, time to scrape the poop off. And then uh, you get all the characters throughout going, uh, when he walks into a room, at least in the beginning, uh, you know, what's that smell or whatever. Um Which is a little more commentary on it, but then it's just you glide right past it.
0: Um, Yeah, you get past it. Which
1: not everything in this movie is a glide past it, you have to kind of catch it joke. A lot of this movie is the opposite of that. Uh, so it's interesting to see the mix.
0: I, I absolutely, 100% agree. I think the combination of the mystery and the farce is what makes this movie so rewatchable. It's not just that it's a mystery. Uh, it's it's the, it's the comedy to it as well. And another film that Clue reminds me of, and I think it bears mentioning, is Neil Simon's 1976 film, Murder by Death. Uh, it's similar in concept and tone, and to the point where it almost feels like they are they are the '70s and '80s counterparts to one another. Yeah, I can totally see that. I haven't seen *Murdered by Death* in a, in a while. It, it carries a sort of '70s cynicism that this movie doesn't have. Like it's a little more absurdist. It's it, it's a little like the mystery resolution is not as as satisfying because it's just like kind of. It's very, uh, it, you know, it's it's just it's a little bit more hard edged, cynical. I will mention that Eileen Brennan is in both films, and in fact, in both films, her character fates, and a butler tries and fails to catch her. Oh, uh, that's got to be a nod. That's it's got to be. One would think.
1: Yeah, but uh, and this one, you know, it it doesn't have the kind of cynicism that you're talking. It's certainly not a '70s cynicism. However, I think I would be remiss to not mention. I I think that setting this in 54 has uh, and given what, where it goes with a lot of the red scare communism stuff. Sure. You know, it it does feel like much of this movie is poking fun at eighties, Reagan, America, because the, the throwback to the fifties was kind of what was going on to fuel the current politics in the U S at the time.
0: And they were both eras of cold war paranoia.
1: Yeah. And so there's even, you know, and, it's funny because the movie plays it kind of straight, like it's in going into those fifties ideals, Um, but in an outsized manner, Um, there's even something at the, at the very, very end that we'll get to that. It seemed on the surface level, one could say, is that endorsing um, that kind of (laughs) fifties worldview, but it's very clearly not. It's It's very clearly not. Yeah. Certain performers performance about it. Um, So it's just interesting with that, where they are, and that stuff I feel is always and shall I say, I think uh the English gentleman, it, you know, or British gentleman uh taking the piss.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and right off the bat, like you know, to tie in with that Red Scare thing, right off the bat, well, you know, Wadsworth goes in to check with the cook, and the, you get Senator Joseph McCarthy on the TV screen in the kitchen ranting about suspected communists. Yeah. And I'm like, that's right there. And one by one, the guests arrive, beginning with Colonel Mustard, who's followed by Mrs. White, Mrs. Peacock, uh, Mr. Green, Professor Plum, and Miss Scarlet. And if I'm not mistaken,
1: uh, it's uh, isn't there a reference that this is Hill House?
0: It is. It is no, Hill House. Yes. Yes, which also is a fun little Easter egg. Absolutely. Uh, what, what I think is just terrific about this sequence is how quickly the characters' personalities are drawn to from you know you know from the performances the writing the costuming like Mrs. White in all black Miss Scarlet with that amazingly large collar that she's wearing when when she's oh, yeah. out in the rain like it's like it's a it's oh god it's it's the ultimate popped collar like I know it's set in the 50s but that is such an 80s thing and and it turns out all of these people are being blackmailed for one or another indiscretion some of them are you know deny that what they they've done others not so much Professor Plum
3: You were once a professor of psychiatry, specializing in helping paranoid and homicidal lunatics suffering from delusions of grandeur. Yes, but now I work for the United Nations. So your work has not changed. But you don't practice medicine at the UN. His license to practice has been lifted, correct?
2: Why? What did he do?
3: You know what doctors aren't allowed to do with their lady patients? Yeah. Well, he did. Oh, how disgusting. Are you making moral judgments, Mrs. Peacock? How then do you justify taking bribes? in return for delivering your husband Senator Peacock's vote to certain lobbyists.
2: My husband is a paid consultant. There is nothing wrong with that.
3: Not if it's publicly declared, perhaps. But if the payment is delivered by slipping used greenbacks in plain envelopes under the door of the men's room, how would you describe that transaction?
2: That's <laughs> would it stinks. Oh, how would you know? When were you in that men's room? So it's true. No, it's a vicious lie.
3: I'm sure we're all glad to hear that. But you've been paying blackmail for over a year now to keep that story out of the papers.
2: Well, I am willing to believe you. I, too, am being blackmailed for something I didn't do.
3: Me, too. And me. Not me. You're not being blackmailed.
2: Oh, I'm being blackmailed, all right. But I did what I'm being blackmailed for. What did you do? Well, to be perfectly frank, I run a specialized hotel and a telephone service which provide gentlemen with the company of a young lady for a short while.
3: Oh, yeah? <coughs> What's the phone number? So how did you know Colonel Mustard works in Washington? Is he one of your clients? Certainly not. I was asking Miss Scarlett. Well, you tell him it's not true.
2: It's not true. Is that true? No, it's not true.
3: Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> so it is true. A double negative. double negative? You mean you have photographs? That sounds like a confession to me. In fact, the double negative has led to proof positive. I'm afraid you gave yourself away. Are you trying to make me look stupid in front of the other guests? You don't need any help from me,
0: sir. That's right. They, they find that everyone is connected to the government in one way. Mrs. Peacock is married to a senator. Uh, Mrs. White's late husband uh, was a nuclear physicist. Colonel Mustard is a colonel. Uh, Mr. Green works at the State Department. Uh, and Professor Plum works for the UN uh, World Health Organizations, the you-know-who. <laughs> One of the things I was actually kind of worried about, like in the last couple days before we sat down to record this episode, like part of what I love so much is the stuff that is tough to talk about because it's in the performances of these actors and the way they react with one another, the way they play off of one another. I swear to God, every time I see this movie, I see a new look. Or a new expression, or something I didn't see before.
1: Yeah, and it's um, and the way this plays with the editing and the direction as well, uh, the 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 choice of frames—the old chestnut comedy plays in the two shot or whatever, right? It's it's less in the close, and you know, obviously, you can use a close up to punctuate comedy, but this one very much feels, in certain ways, that the framing and things are pulled back, like an earlier film. It's interesting to me because. My favorite part of the comedy in this is actually the dialogue that plays I mean Frank I mean it's screwball but it frankly it any line where you could hear Groucho Marx's delivery I probably <laughs> love in this movie and I I feel that a lot of that because the timing is between the performers yeah. the, the timing still feels kind of um very rapid fire and, you know, um, I mean, you know, hearkening back to the Marx Brothers, but it's like it still feels modern in that way. Right. It could could it have been on Gilmore Girls in the right <laughs> circumstance? You know, that right. sort of thing. Right. But the the physical comedy and then the body comedy that's also usually physical, that stuff doesn't always work as well for me personally Because it feels like the timing is a little bit, there's a little bit of a lag for me. And then also, the physical comedy to me seems to be of a piece with the dialogue humor, Mm -hmm. with that kind of old, I mean, because it feels like old vaudeville, like the, you know, is, is where you would stretch back to for this. The body stuff, I guess, also would also be stretching back there. But it's weird to me, it feels a little more... And I swear to God, I'm not saying this just because he's British. It feels more Benny Hill, (laughs) sure, right? Then well, then like then Harpo, you know, you know, with his mouth agape at 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 somebody.
0: The movie knows what it's doing. It's aware of its its own sleaziness in that regard.
1: It is, you know, but it does. For me, it's just a little. It does feel a little Animal House in a movie that kind of isn't. You know, well, yeah. and so for me, it's, it's kind of a push and pull between, and I, yes, I realize the connections, yeah. but, um, I, you know, so that's, there, there are parts of this that feel a little national lampoon, whereas I think the, the core of this movie isn't
0: that way. No, no, And that's it not is. the
1: humor, that's not the humor of the bulk of this movie, because it's, it's going more towards the older influences. Yeah, in that the sort way. of classic that, That's farce. the stuff that I enjoy the most. Uh,
0: yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's that character stuff that just to me makes that, I mean, God, I mean, does uh, does a week go by where I don't quote clue just off the cuff in some you know uh, just some <laughs> like some random line like oh the you know when I said that that was both true and misleading I say that all the time and it's
1: like <laughs> oh yeah and, and a real credit to the actors and the direction too you know um, where be, when you're doing that kind of dialogue comedy. The, those kind of the, the word play stuff. So, yeah. and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but things no. like what that sounds like a confession to me. In fact, the double negative has led to
0: proof positive. Proof and, positive? Uh, you mean there are yeah. photographs? I, did, I didn't write that down, Rob. That was off the beat. Yeah.
1: And then uh, another great one that I love. It's a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. Have life. <laughs> or after he's dead, I have a life, whatever. He was
2: always a rather stupidly optimistic man. I mean, I'm afraid it came as a great shock to him when he died, but he, he was found dead at home. His head had been cut off and so had his, uh you know. I had been out all evening at the movies. Do you miss him? Well, it's a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. So those
1: are the kinds of things that are, that's in the mouths of different characters. So you're committing, in the name of the comedy, you know, you're having dialogue that will sound very similar, but it is a testament to these actors that you never think that. Right. Because each of the characters are so fully realized, and the performances back that, that no one is delivering those lines similarly.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, yeah. you have that bit. I love I love the bit where he's talking about how you used to work with, you know, you know, paranoid delusional. He says, well, now I work for the UN. And, and Wadsworth says, well, th- then your work has not changed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a, yeah. such, a, such a sly joke. And I'm like, that is, that's so good. And, and before long, we have one more guest who's going to join the group. Mr. Body, who is this sort of repellent man who just oozes sleaze. And I, I didn't realize as a kid, but Body's character seems strongly reminiscent of Ratchet, the murder victim in Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. And it's revealed that he was the one who has been blackmailing all of them, including Wadsworth, the butler, who organized the whole evening to confront Mr. Body with the evidence of his crimes and put him behind bars. But Mr. Body has a different plan because he has brought weapons in order to encourage the guests to murder Wadsworth in order to keep their secrets safe. These are the classic weapons from the board game, the candlestick, the rope, the lead pipe, the wrench, the gun, and the knife and Mister Mister Body switches off the lights and when they come back on, it's not Wadsworth who's dead, who it's Mister Body and and honestly the he should have seen that coming, man. Like like of all the if I was in the room, do I kill the innocent guy who's trying to stop my blackmailer but might expose my secret, or to just kill the blackmailer and my secret safe? Like, come on, Mister Body, what are you thinking? Yeah, it
1: is. Uh, he's a little too sure of himself, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know he gets it. But what I love is also... you know, he's got that slicked back hair. He's yep. the one who hasn't... Chi- like, he's got the five o'clock shadow. Yeah. They really play him like a gangster. Uh, yes, also, absolutely. You know, not a literal gangster, but very gangsterish.
0: Yeah, like in a noir kind of like, you know, Warner yeah. Brothers gangster picture kind of thing. Exactly. God, oh, there's so many great bits in it. Like the whole scene in the lounge, like there's so many... Like when Mrs. Peacock starts screaming because she thinks the brandy's poisoned. <laughs> sit down, this- Had to stop her from screaming. Well, I had to stop her screaming. Uh, and then they—they're they, watching to see Peacock. If she dies, then they hear another scream from part of the, another part of the house. And there's this amazing moment. It's—it's it's like a a little bit of cinema magic where everybody stands up, like they're they're all watching Peacock to see if she's just going to die from poison brandy. And then they hear the scream all the people stand up fully like they're they're leaning over and then the music kicks in and they race off in search of the scream and to me it acts like a starter pistol you know like going into high gear for the second act it is it is a tremendous little piece of filmmaking yeah
1: because uh, the murder of mr. body the discovery of body's body is only the first of many and this yes. is setting off the chain wreck it is at this point where this the setup is done right and now the movie is just kind con- it's funny you're you're really going from act one into two but at this point it feels like the movie to its credit is is rolling downhill like until the end yeah the the momentum in this thing is is pretty good it really is fun it's a movie that as as we go through and you talk about these things at, like a lot of the great you know mystery films or whatever who done it it is one that Apparently gives you a lot of clues, but never anything that it could allow you to solve the mystery. Well, no. <laughs> but there,
0: there's stuff there. And we'll we'll, we'll I, I I thought we should bring back for this episode. I think we should bring back uh uh something we did during our Bird with a Crystal Plumage series. We'll have a spoiler line, and then afterwards we can we can talk about the resolution of the mystery. So if there's people who have not seen clue and are listening to this and are like, oh, I'm interested in that, you you'll have the opportunity need to opt out before we get to the the full resolution the scream that they hear comes from Yvette the maid who then kind of becomes part of the group they bring her back Uh, Wadsworth explains that his wife committed suicide after body threatened to reveal that she had friends who were socialists (gasps) and
2: what was your role in all this
3: I was a victim too at least my wife was she had friends who were socialists.
2: Oh, my God.
0: <sighs> well,
2: we all make mistakes.
0: Like, they're all so disappointed. It's like, ooh. Uh, and I just, I, the exaggerated look of everybody's very face. And then, you know, Professor Plum goes with, everything's explained. Peacock's, I, I love this. I got to say. This is a, it's a visual so there's no audio it's like Peac- Professor Plum says everything's explained and Peacock starts nodding and then Scarlet counters with nothing's explained we still don't know who did it and Peacock's nod just immediately turns to a shake it's just a flawless little bit of, of physical comedy from Eileen Brennan who is fantastic yeah and she her cuz her
1: Peacock is a little spacey yeah but not but not dumb but just she's not quite there in the way that some of the other characters are
0: <laughs> yeah like miss scarlet is obviously like streetwise and just you know she she knows where it's at uh, by the way miss scarlet was originally supposed to be played by carrie fisher oh wow yeah, she would have been good. But Leslie Ann Warren is dynamite in this picture. She's fantastic in this. I can't yeah. imagine like I again, yeah. this is one of those movies, again, I, I I've been watching for so long, for so, so many times, I kind of can't picture anybody else because it's just so it's so I, I fully admit, this is not a movie I can be objective about. I just love it whole cloth. And uh, you know, I'll need you to point out when it when it, it kind of runs off the rails a little bit, but it might. That's okay. I still love it and you know. So they next go to the kitchen where they find the cook dead in the freezer. There's a cool impromptu moment where Miss Scarlet drops her cigarette as Mr. Green is going down under the weight of the heavy cook and she tries to help him avoid landing on it. Uh, And then they go back to the study and Mr. Body's body is gone. And Professor Plum swears he was dead. But then he turns up again a few minutes later in the toilet, this time with a visible head wound and he's dead for sure. It's a nice way of fitting an aspect of the board game which is the board game, you're supposed to find out who did it, with what, and where, in which room. And by killing body twice, it gives a little uncertainty to that part, which I think is a which great nod yeah. non- to the board game. Yeah. Uh, they decide to lock the weapons in the cupboard, throw away the key, only to find a stranded motorist at the door asking to use the phone. They put him in the lounge, that's where it's just clear of dead bodies, and they lock him in. The group then decides to split up and search the house to determine if anyone else is there. And this is a lot of act two is them searching the house in, in four pairs, uh, which are all girl, boy, just by coincidence. They draw lots for it. I love, I love (laughs) that everybody is paired with the person they least would want to be with. Like, (laughs) <laughs> like yes, yes. like earlier he had, you know, Wadsworth said to Miss Miss uh, Mrs. White, oh man, I would never be alone with you because you're, you know, you kill your husbands and, you know, <laughs> so he, of course he ends up with Mrs. White, um, <laughs> except for the horny Professor Plum, who is perfectly happy to be paired with Mrs. Peacock. It's you and me,
2: honey bunch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ah, yes, that Christopher Lloyd delivery.
0: Oh my God, Christopher Lloyd had this and Back to the Future in the same year. Like, um, I know this was not a big hit, but they are just two of the all-time great, like, every time I try to think who the MVP of this movie is, I I, I always end up changing it. Like, there was Mm -hmm. a while watching it earlier, I was like, man, Michael McKean is amazing in an understated way in some of it. But like, he is, but then I'm like, oh, well, Madeline Kahn is literally A comic genius and just everybody's so good. Everybody's so good. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they are all instantly
1: unique characters and funny in their own way that relates to their their character. Like uh, yeah. like Martin Mull being the perfect blustery, full of yeah. himself, Colonel Mustard.
0: But that's what I... Yeah, absolutely. But you get that instantly. Like the the script does a great job of bringing out their... Per- the script and the actors do a great job of bringing out those personalities very quickly. You know who all these people are within the, like the the first, you know, scene or two where everybody's there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it makes everything... You
1: know, it's a large cast to be following. It's a, you know, it's an ensemble piece and, uh, that can be hard for people to follow, but you just never like you're off to the races with this pretty instantly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know the searching the house. We see someone in at that time. Wadsworth has a acu- you know burns the the evidence that Wadsworth has accumulated in the fireplace. The weapons cupboard is unlocked. The motorist is killed with the wrench. Mustard and Peacock discover a secret passage from the conservatory to the lounge, just like in the board game. And then they are in, they're locked in the lounge with the dead motorist. And there's that madcap scene where everybody is the rest of the group's trying to break down the door like it's <laughs> let us in let us in let us out let us out and then you have the, the culminating with yvette shooting open the lock and you have that stray bullet that leads to the the, the crash of the chandelier it's just it's god I, it, in heights i'm like all i know about to say about this movie is i love it and it's great <laughs>
1: yeah
0: i mean if i'm gonna pick
1: Nitz, please th- this is one of the sequences that i feel that the, the pacing feels older Yeah, that, you know, th- there's too much air in between the let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out that you would. It, and, and I feel it in a way that some of the other more old, some of the, you know, more classic framing and, and editing timing still feels good to me in this movie, but there are instances like that where I just feel it's, maybe a little too old school in what it's doing that it can okay been,
0: um, That's fair.
1: You know, cause I mean, this is given 85, it, like even in 85 things can go faster than this. You know, I know we're not, right. We're not editing uh, like it's MTV's music video era yet. Um, you know, but uh, it does feel a little, a little slow, the little air
0: in the movie. Interesting. Somehow. Okay. All right. So, which to me stops it from feeling madcap. So that's the interesting, which obviously once we get to the third act, well, that
1: almost makes it by comparison, you know, to me made that some of the stuff that sags a little bit in act two for me, it made it more noticeable because, oh yeah, you can do this. And I get, right. I get trying to pace yourself and save things, but at, at the same time, you know, the, the, the Marx brothers could be madcap for a whole movie.
3: well that's
0: true that is that's true it's funny because again i watched murder by death recently just to have it and by comparison clues pacing is lightning it is like murder by death sure you don't even have a dead person to like an hour and seven minutes into the movie and here it's like like, oh my goodness it's it's i my comparison would be the difference between like it's the 70s version and the eighties. it's like it's like uh the the man who would be king is to Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: And, and to be clear, uh, you know, I'm not even talking about story pacing. It really no, no, is it's pacing the, within uh, the scene, the, with the jokes, the, yeah. the, the the com specifically. Sometimes the the spoken jokes, but more often the physical comedy. I feel there's a little there's a little too much air in it, and I think part of that is because he's choosing those long shots, which is making it classic. Right. And the 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 actors are doing this. You know, together like real time, and that's great, and probably helps you improv quite a bit. Yeah, a, a, a cutaway to speed things up here, or there would have would have helped me.
0: I think. Interesting. There are times where it does feel like it could be a stage play, like because it's all largely set in yes. this one house. Yes. I mean, it 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 yeah. Again, you you obviously there's stuff that it does. It's it's clearly a movie. It's not like a filmed play, but no. but uh you know it it's there. You can imagine it's a uh, little proscenium arch. Yeah, I think. yeah, I a, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, not necessarily in a bad way, but it is. It's a thing. Uh, we have the doorbell rings, and then we have a cop show up who is investigating the motorist's abandoned car down on the driveway, and so now you have another person in the house that they have to contend with. And I love the sequence where they have to make the cop think everything's normal. Oh, yes. Despite the fact that they have these dead bodies. So they, they create these tableaus of, you know, it's a party and everybody's just having a good time.
1: Is it three or four dead bodies at this point? Is it three well, or there's, four there's dead bodies? there's
0: Mr. Body. body, there's the body. cook, and the motorist.
1: Uh, oh, so there's three at this point. There's yeah. three. Yeah, and what they do to... Oh, my God. Because they cannot hide the bodies, so they have to hide them in plain sight. Uh, and it is is and what Mr. Green, I think, is the one who they have put to show the cop around.
0: He and he doesn't know that they've done this. So no, he's like He does not. Oh oh my God. Just the <laughs> look at him, a car, a long black car. <laughs> Limousine. Yes. <laughs> and they lock the cop back in the library, then they continue to search the house. The electricity is switched off, during which time there are three more murders. The cop is hit on the head with a lead pipe. Yvette is strangled with the rope, and the door opens to reveal the singing telegram girl, who is promptly shot. Da 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 da. Da 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 I am
2: your singing telegram.
0: I will I will mention of these deaths, Yvette's death, where where we see her come into the room and talk with this unseen figure before the noose goes around her neck. It is punctuated by a music cue that is straight out of a horror movie. Dead.
2: You. They must have, and not just my face. They know every inch of my body. And they're not the only ones. <gasps> it's you!
1: Oh, yeah. And what I love most is I think this is my favorite re- death reaction, and not from a vet but when everyone else finds her body.
0: Yeah, she's the first body they find after the lights switch on. But it's the fourth
1: body they've found and we're deep into the movie. <laughs> yes. And the characters all just kind of like slowly walk in. They all clock the dead body on the table. And then they all just kind of like are bored, turn around, and shuffle out. It, yes. it's just the, the, the non-reaction reaction is so Perfect. funny to me. It's
0: so good. Yeah. It, that might be my favorite gag in the movie. It oh. is a gr- it is a great <laughs> gag. It is just <laughs> yeah So then Wadsworth announces that he knows who did it and furthermore how it was all done. So the third act consists of Tim Curry, Manically recounting all the events of the film step by step. From the time he came into the, you know, the the the, the mansion, he's like, Oh, I was in the hallway. I know because I was there. And it is an absolute delight to watch. He plays all the roles at various points. He is both murderer and victim. At one point, switching off the lights and appearing to be dead himself when they come back on, leading to one of my favorite, my favorite off-the-cuff lines from Mr. Green when he sees him lying on the floor, he just goes. Oh, grand. (laughs) Like, oh, it's just, just, oh God, it's so good. One
1: of the things that makes it so funny for me, and especially in the first half of this, uh, of his sequence of going through, really recapping the film in a singular performance, as you say, but sensibly to do the clues. But what makes it so funny to me in that first half is all of the detail that has nothing to do with who so did it good. or figuring out who did it's it, so good. but he can't—he can't stop himself from saying things like, "Oh, you know, I'm," and I was over here uh, waiting for them <laughs> to offer <laughs> oh, a glass it, of champagne. Us, it's a pain. Yeah, you don't need—you don't need the champagne detail. And you can see in the reactions of others that they're intrigued and, and kind of being polite, but they also are like, "Get on with the show, man." <laughs> like other characters are realizing. How just overstuffed uh, his explanation.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. So it's revealed that all the people in the house that were killed that night, it, it, there was Mr. Body, and everyone else that was killed was one of his informants in his blackmail scheme. The cook worked for Mrs. Peacock. The motorist was Mustard's driver during the war. The cop was, uh, was being bribed by Miss Scarlet. The singing telegram girl was the woman Professor Plum was having an affair with. Oh, I have to mention one of the all-time great cameos in any movie of all. Like, Howard Hesman shows up at the door as this, as this evangelist proselytizing about the kingdom of heaven.
2: Oh, whoever it is, they gotta go away or they'll be killed. Oh.
3: Good evening. Have you ever given any thought to the kingdom of heaven? What? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand.
2: You ain't just whistling Dixie. Armageddon is almost upon us. I got news for you. It's already here. Go away. But your souls are in danger. Our lives are in danger, you beatnik.
0: I mean, it's just, hearing it doesn't even quite do it justice. It's just the whole thing, the expressions of the actors, and it's sublime. So. That's it. I think we've reached the point. We want to do a kind of spoiler line as we did with our bird with the crystal plumage series. We're going to put an extra chapter here. So if you want to skip past the reveal of the killer, you can do so now. Wadsworth reveals that the cook and Mr. Body were in fact killed by the one other person that wasn't with them. Yvette. And that in fact, she was operating under orders from her boss. Miss Scarlet, who committed all the other murders herself. And cornered, she pulls the gun out of her purse and she reels that her real business is secrets with Mr. Green, accuses her of being a communist. She utters that classic line. So it is political. You're a communist.
3: No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a
0: red herring. Before she could shoot him, Wadsworth gets the jump on Miss Scarlet, disarms her as the police arrive, led by Howard Hesman, who is actually the police chief. It's it's an amazing. It's an amazing piece. It's like just the whole thing is so great. I think Leslie Ann Warren's tremendous. It's just it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and all of because uh that final reveal's taking place in what the lobby by the front door. It's all so in the it's
0: have. all in the main hall of the yeah. lobby. Yes. Yeah,
1: and um which again, a location in the board game? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's um it's interesting, you know, that they play with a little bit with what is the classic detective running through what's happened and then revealing the killer. But, um, you know, it is also still pretty straightforward for the genre outside yeah. of Curry's madcap performance, right? Because Which he's, just he's going on and on. And like, it, it feels like that the performance gets faster and faster Yeah, because he's dragging them from room to room. And, uh, finally you stop here at the end and you have the, the, the classic, uh, you know, very brief showdown with the, with the yeah. gun.
0: Yeah. And then, and you know, that's, but that's clue. I mean, it's God, I just love this movie. It's it, honestly, it, this is one of those rare movies that I could watch every day and still be entertained by. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. If, if, if you haven't seen it recently, check it out again. Cause I guarantee you'll see something you haven't seen before. Yeah. And if, if you are
1: watching a second time, um, always look at the person who's not talking.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Always look at the person who's not, the the reactions. You'll get a, you'll get a
1: slightly different experience. Yeah.
0: So thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, threads, and blue sky at get me another pod. If you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it, tell your enemies about it, tell the butler about it, and join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another. Okay. Well, that's one way this show could have ended, but how about this? So Wadsworth reveals that the cook was killed when the group heard Yvette screaming and they ran to help her. One of them slipped away, killed the cook and rejoined them in the lounge. And that same person was also not there when they found the cook's body in the kitchen because that is when Mr. Body was killed with the candlestick. And it's revealed that Mrs. Peacock murdered everybody. You murdered them all. You were the person who was missing
3: when the cook and Mr. Body were murdered. And the cook used to be your cook. Don't you remember your fatal mistake? You told us at dinner that we were eating one of your favorite recipes, and monkey's brains, though popular in Cantonese cuisine, are not often to be found in Washington, D.C. Is that what we (laughs) ate?
2: Why would I have murdered all the
3: others? Obviously, in case Mr. Boddy had told him about you. So it was all nothing to do with the disappearing nuclear physicist and Colonel Mustard's work on the new fusion bomb. No, communism was just
0: a red herring. And if you look carefully, this is what it's it's this is where it's so great. If you look carefully, when the group is gathered in the doorway of the billiard room, talking to Yvette, Peacock is not there. She is quietly absent from that scene. and also in the kitchen, they go into the kitchen because they're looking for the cook. And Peacock is there when the group enters. Then she disappears, and then she reappears at the end of the scene. It's – it's like, the details are there. It holds up.
1: Yeah, but this is also where we get to talk about the fact that you cannot solve this movie because it was designed to have different endings. <laughs> because that first ending, uh, Yvette is also not in the room at the point that they noticed that. For, well, that's uh, true. You know. That's true. So – They are setting up all of these clues and depending upon which uh, ending you are viewing, um, certain clues work and certain clues are red herrings that don't matter. Uh, (laughs) And it's different depending upon the ending, uh, which is, is, it's fun and and a little genius, you know, um, but there's absolutely no way that you can solve this movie based on clues that you're watching along the way for that very reason.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, uh, I love like so, this time it's Peacock who pulls the gun out of her purse rather than Miss Scarlet. And like talking about, you know, like something I noticed the like I notice something new every time I watch it in in the peacock ending Mr Green uh when, when when Wadsworth is doing his big you know kind of thing at the end he throws Mr. Green into the toilet to to, to mime you know throwing Mr bodies and you hear Mr Green use the bathroom in the bathroom so he comes out. By the time he comes out, Peacock is wielding this gun, and Mister Green has a reaction when he comes out of the toilet, and realizes Peacock is wielding a gun, and it's the first time I'd ever seen like the the just the face that Michael McKean gives when he realizes that Peacock has yeah. pulled the gun on everybody. Um, so they there uh, she exits the house, and the group like the group is like left to clean up the crime scene, and I love they start singing for she's a jolly good fellow, which is amazing and hysterical. My favorite bit. Like, the thing that it kills me, Mrs. White is singing the harmony. Like, she's singing the harmony part, and <laughs> it's just, it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> outside, Peacock is confronted by the evangelist, who is actually the chief of police, and she's arrested and the day is saved, but I want to point something out, and this is interesting. As originally scripted and filmed, Peacock is killed by Howard Hessman's character. And they decide late in the game to change that. So if you pay attention, like Peacock's line about get your hands off of me, I'm a senator's wife, is off-screen. When they cut back to Hessman, he's putting his gut away and you see a little puff of smoke where in an earlier cut he fired his weapon and killed her. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: It's so it's so interesting. I don't I wonder what the impulse to kill her was, because I would just think in a movie like Clue, like, by the time you get to the end, you're just taking the bad guy
0: away. Yeah. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I think that might've been why they rethought it. It's like, Oh, we don't need to kill. We don't need to kill Mrs. Peacock because it's enough for her to be arrested. Yeah. So that's clue. Like it's, it's like I said, it's one of those movies I could, I could watch every day and, and still be entertained by. It's just, God, it's just the best. So thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts Chris Ietico and Rob Lamorges. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky at Get Me Another Pod. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends about it, tell your enemies about it, tell that singing Telegram girl about it. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, "Get Me Another." <laughs> Okay, this time, I'm sure you guessed what we were up to this time. So here's what really happened. In the film's third ending, it turns out that almost everyone committed a murder. Peacock killed the cook. She was absent from the billiard room when Yvette was screaming. We, we already mentioned that in ending number two. Plum killed Mr. Body, who, like Peacock, goes into the kitchen and then disappears and then reappears in the kitchen when they find the cook's body. Colonel Mustard killed the motorist. Uh, Miss Scarlet killed the cop. Yvette was killed by Mrs. White, which is the only one that I think stretches the bounds of credibility because we hear Mrs. White upstairs just as like Yvette's coming down the stairs to to meet her killer. But I don't care. And I'll tell you why. Because it leads to one of the greatest improv moments in movie history when Mrs. White is asked why she killed Yvette. Yes, I
2: did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths.
0: It's, it is just a brilliant moment, like courtesy of the hysterical Madeline Kahn. My God, she was just a, a, a an absolute treasure, uh, you, they apparently had to cut away from her. Like she cuts away in the middle of that because Martin Mull was cracking up. Like that is just all in impro- oh, the shot with yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. That's why they cut away from her. you still here continuing to talk about the flames on the side of her face. Uh, it's just, yeah. my God, it is like, you know, uh, obviously it's an internet meme, but it's just, it's just the best. It's just the best.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because everyone else to go back to the clues that were laid down, uh, we could have found <laughs> Because pretty much everyone else, when they killed someone, obviously Plum with Body, any one of them would have had the motive to kill Mister Body, but everyone else killed a person that could have revealed what they were up to, right? Mm-hmm. So Miss Scarlet had been paying off the cop in, you know, to not uh, get her uh, operation. You know, in trouble, <laughs> so she kills him, and, and and on and on. Right, you've got the the driver with, profe- uh, excuse me, with Colonel Mustard. Yeah, so he everyone's was a war killing. War
0: profiteer. He, the driver knew it.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So everyone's killing the the person that they should, um, which is also <laughs> like a fun setup. You know, that yeah. doesn't get paid off in the other two endings.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, this is why. And like, yeah. I, I I never saw this in the theater, so I never saw like the whole. Oh, it's going to be a random ending. For me, it was always the three on on the home video version where you had the Scarlet ending, the Peacock ending, and then the everybody ending. Um, And there's only one murder left unresolved. Mr. Green denies shooting the singing telegram girl. And it turns out he's telling the truth because it was Wadsworth who shot her. And in fact, Wadsworth is actually the real Mr. Body. And the one who's been blackmailing him. And the person introduced as Mr. Body was, in fact, his butler, which doesn't seem, because I'll be honest, leaving does not feel like he should, like he's not a butler. Like, and I don't feel like, oh, that dude's a butler. Oh, you know, it's just. No, but I will say that he does
1: feel, leaving feels like a guy that did something worthy of being blackmailed into working for Mr. Body.
0: That is true
1: and that the in this ending it retroactively explains mr body being dumb about bringing all the weapons out <laughs> because mr body wasn't dumb yeah, Lee Vings character, that's right. that's right. Who's the punk being blackmailed was dumb and didn't see it coming. So in this one, that actually makes a lot more sense.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Before he could get away, Mister Green whips out his revolver. He shoots Mister Body dead, and the cops storm the house once again, led by Howard Hesman. Uh, and in this version, it's Green who's the undercover FBI agent. Now, Rob, I have so I may t- I'm going to tell you something you may not be aware of. Oh, okay. Because I. I bring information and knowledge that is my that is my gift. Uh there was actually a fourth ending that was shot and it was cut before the film's release. It appeared in the clue novelization published in 1985. Oh wow. In the fourth ending it was Wadsworth who killed everyone in an effort to create the perfect murder. He also, it's revealed, poisoned the liquor in the house so the guests are going to die anyway. He wanted to reveal it so everybody could sort of marvel in his brilliance. And the cops arrive. Wadsworth uh, escapes only to be trapped in the car by the large dogs from the beginning. Like they they've gotten, a, they'd gotten ah. out and they're in the car with him. And I don't know if it works. Like there's, there's things where, and, and maybe they realized early on that it wasn't going to work. So they didn't have to worry about Wadsworth not being present, like, you know, how that, how that all uh, goes. But it's, it's, it's interesting that there was a fourth and they just decided, you know, it's like, you know, but it was, it was there. There's stills out there and I'll, I'll post them on, on our social media of there are stills out there. You can find from like, the pictures, like they always had the picture pages in the uh oh yeah like in the novelizations where it's like, oh, here was a couple of shots. Like there's one with Howard Hessman wrestling with uh with Tim Curry, which is not in any of the versions that we see. Oh yeah. No, no. That's very interesting.
1: I have to check that out online. But the uh the end of that third one too with the Mr. Green reveal, you end the the film ends that version with his line- I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Which I think is one of the encapsulations of that this is poking fun at that 1950s mentality. Even yes. Uh, yes. Though one could look at the era of the 80s and wonder, is there a little gay panic in that? But I actually don't think that there is. I think it's really just poking fun at the way it, it would have had to have ended if- if you were going to have him be the lawman, right in a 1950s thing, that that is
0: that is that ending. I think what makes this so rewatchable it's not just the mystery. The mystery is fun. It's the farce. It is just the 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 sense of absurdity. Uh, and I, you know, like I'm sorry that this movie didn't like. Kick off a trend of like high concept farces in the '80s. Like it wasn't really the the style of humor of the time. And I'm, I'm there's a few like uh, you know I mean aside from Murder by Death, which obviously came earlier, but like the movie that to me feels closest in, in tone was 1992's uh, adaptation of Noises Off, mm-hmm. which is another film that didn't do great at the box office that I love, but it feels that feels like it's got that same farcical energy that that clue has
1: yeah and i i honestly wonder in my mind if the doing multiple endings which feels like a great gag especially given the board game if that was the thing that was uh part of the problem
0: It could have been
1: and not just because i think you're telling the audience you know again we were people weren't as used to narrative video games at this point so the idea of oh you're gonna go and watch a movie but it could have one of three endings there, there, there is a little bit of a sense of, well, then the story kind of could go any direction, right. as opposed to feeling like it's a singular story. And do people want to go to multiple theaters? Does that just make you feel? It's almost like that old. Uh, I love uh, my really inaccurate sports analogies, uh, <laughs> comparing them to movies. Uh, that old adage, if, if your team has two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. And
0: (laughs) I think there is a little bit,
1: a little bit of a feel to an audience. If you tell them you have three endings, people kind of, it kind of feels like you don't have an ending then, Right. right? That you weren't building towards the one singular thing that had to happen. And I, and I think you actually do. That's part of what I feel of the airiness in, especially in that, uh, act two of this thing where they do have to leave it open. In a lot of the mystery aspect, right? Because yeah. it's got to be able to,
0: it's got to accommodate all three endings. D- yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that for me is it's all triggered by it, this movie is not about the mystery. It is about the performances and the characters for me, and the the comedy that comes from that. Um, but it does, I think, for me, hinder it from being an, like. It's not one of my all-time favorite movies. I like it. But I think that's why, for me, if I were to, in hindsight, look for an explanation, I
0: think that's it. No, that's an an interesting one. And it's funny because, again, now we're very – you know movies based on ip that is not like you know movies based on on books or plays were common right from from the beginning but like you know based on video games based on on theme park rides now we're so accustomed to that we don't think twice about it but in the 80s that was so unusual and it's a way that this movie is kind of ahead of its time, I think the multiple endings, you can imagine a streaming service doing a movie like that now, where it's like there's going to be multiple endings and you know slightly different versions, and you can imagine it playing people being more, Open to that now. That's the interactive Black Mirror
1: episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they, they do. Uh, I know um, it started as a game and for a bit it was on Netflix, but the Minecraft story mode, uh, animated things for, for oh, those okay. gamers where you're watching, you know, an animated cartoon of Minecraft, but you are choosing directions as you go along, you know, very much in another. Like another 80s classic of the oh, literary. Choose your own adventure. Uh, yeah. I love
0: those books. I love those books. Oh my yeah. god. Those there there were three suits. Choose your adventure. The other two, Time Machine And the Dungeons and, and be Dragons. Be an Interplanetary Spy. I love those oh, three.
1: I never had the be an interplanetary style, but I, uh, spy, but I did get into the Dungeons and Dragons had their own. Oh I guess yes. yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any the Dungeons
0: and Dragons one, but I just yeah. Oh my god, I love those. I love those. Uh, And uh, yeah, as I, as I love Clue. So, I mean, that's Clue. I mean, again, it's one of those movies that I could watch every day and still be in it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you haven't seen it recently, check it out again because I just guarantee you, you will see something you haven't seen before. And this is our real ending, so we'll, there's not we don't have a hidden fourth ending. But uh, <laughs> we're very excited to announce that we have another bonus episode coming up, and this one this one's going to be something special. Join us on February thirteenth for our third. Don't get me another bonus episode. All about David Lynch's sci-fi epic. Dune. Now, we previously discussed Dune as part of our Get Me Another Star Wars series, but we wanted to take the opportunity to revisit that film and explore it in some more depth. And we are very excited to have joining us for that discussion, Max Ivory, the author of the fantastic book, A Masterpiece in Disarray. David Lynch's Dune and Oral History. And he'll be here to talk about Dune, but also the partial script written by David Lynch for the sequel that was ultimately never made, which he only recently discovered. And it's going to be a terrific episode. I am very excited for that. Oh, me too.
1: Super excited. Uh, I am, again, I I love Dune. I love David Lynch's Dune. Absolutely. I think that I, yeah, I just, if you've read the book, it's, actually I think amazing. Yes. Because I fill in yes. I fill in whatever story gaps might exist. Yes. And I just love it.
0: I mean I cool. honestly I, I am a fan of Frank Herbert's Dune. I actually really like all yeah. of the adaptations of it in different ways and for different reasons. Oh yeah the sci the sci fi channel ones were were Fun. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. And 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 they're its own they're their own thing, and obviously the the new films are are also terrific in in their own way. And then a few weeks after that, we will be launching our first full series of 2024, Get Me Another A Hard Day's Night, and that is gonna be fantastic. Are you ready to go Merseyside? Oh my goodness. We're, We're gonna make it happen. Rob, I'm going to tell you something now. This is going to be fascinating. This is a, a series where I've seen none of the movies. I've never even seen a Hard Day's Night. This will be the first time for. Oh wow! Yeah, the Yellow Submarine. Never. No, I've never, I've never, I've never seen any of the Beatles movies. So wow. I will be. This will be a completely new. Uh, you know, this will be a completely new experience, and I'm very excited for it. Oh yeah, I, I'm excited. Uh-
1: it's it's gonna be fun because all of those movies are so much more about the music and the feel than they are about necessarily the story but the form the form too because right look I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna stop getting into this but Richard Lester literally changed the face of the moving picture like he he had techniques he invented that uh, you know,
0: Wound up playing for decades. It's it's amazing. And there you go. I'm very excited. Again, thank you so much for listening. As always, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorches. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky at Get Me Another Pod. And if you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it, tell your enemies about it, tell that guy who says the kingdom of heaven is at hand about it, because I got news for you. It's already here. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me enough.
3: out who killed him and where and with what. There's no need to shout! I'm not shouting! All right, I am! I'm shouting! I'm shouting! I'm shouting!